Today we are in week three of a four-part study called Stuck. We've said it each week. We'll say it again. Stuck happens, right? In our lives, we experience moments where we feel stuck. We can feel stuck in our career. We can feel stuck in a relationship. We can feel stuck with the consequences of a bad decision. We can feel stuck emotionally. We can even feel stuck with family members that we would rather pawn off to other people, right? Stuck, stuck happens. Now, whenever I was in junior high and high school, our school would sponsor socials for the students, things like homecoming. And uh, Sadie Hawkins were the girls asked the guys. Valentine's Day formal. These kind of socials always would have like a dance component. And I would kind of more put that in air quotes, a dance, because the reality is when you got a bunch of kids, I'm from Arkansas, a bunch of kids coming out of the woods, it was more squirming than it was dancing. But that's what we called it, a dance. And we went. Now, at our dances, they would have fast dance music, and slow dance music. I don't know if it's the same today, but that's the way we got down back then. Now, on the slow dance, you know, it was a little bit more like two palm trees just kind of swaying back and forth. That's, that's what it kind of looked like. Now, there was a tricky song that used to be played at our dances, and it was by Leonard Skinner called Freebird. Yeah. Let it take you back. Let it take you back. Now you can tell by that rhythm, this is a slow dance song. But what made it tricky is, first of all, it's nine minutes long, which is a long time to be stuck with the wrong person kind of swaying back and forth. The other thing that made it tricky is it has a very distinct change in tempo that comes about halfway through the song. DJ, cue that up for me. Now this is where it gets awkward because you got to make a decision. Like, do we speed up like this? Or do we separate and like fast dance this sucker? You got you to make that decision. So there are stuck moments in life that create a sense of awkwardness. Today, as we look at Joseph's story, there's one of those kind of awkward moments in his life. Now, like Joseph, many of us, we navigate multiple stuck moments. We've looked at some of the ones that Joseph has endured. First of all, we talked about in week number one, like he experienced being stuck with a promise, he has a, a wonderful promise, a dream that God gives his life. But with many of God's promises, there's a gap between promise made and promise kept. If you're expecting like overnight delivery on God's promises, you may end up disillusioned and upset. You got to learn how to handle God's promises, listen, with humility. We talked about humility as stepping back and uh, letting God be in the space and work out our promises, his time, his way, his strength. 
The second thing we talked about with regard to Joseph and his stuck story is being stuck with disappointment. Last week we read through repeated examples of where Joseph was betrayed and then he suffered injustice. So he was a victim of human trafficking. Um, he was falsely accused of a crime. He was thrown in prison without, without cause. Now, this string of disappointments that Joseph goes through, we, we watched how the Lord actually takes his disappointments and uses them to transform him and make him a better man. And so we said, when you're going through disappointment, like you're stuck in disappointment, don't give up on God. Like embrace God in the disappointment. He'll transform you and make you a better person because of it. Today we're going to talk about this, being stuck with a new normal, stuck with a new normal. We're going to look at Joseph's life in Egypt. Now here's the deal, sometimes life throws you a curve, and when it does, things can change. And some of the changes that we experience are sometimes felt like, like, well, this is going to be my new normal. Like, this is the way it's going to be for me. I wasn't prepared for that, wasn't expecting that, but this is where I'm at, a new normal. And so you may have a job, but yet there's a new set of expectations that have been handed down. Now, this is the new normal for my job. Your relationship status may change. Your family dynamics can shift. Like, this is the new normal for us. As a student, you can get your new schedule for the semester. Like, oh, this is different. Like, this is the new normal. Like, it is what it is. This is where I'm at. This is the new normal. Now, as much as we may want God to do something that will change our life back to the way it was or maybe fast-track us into something different, like where we are is where we are. And this represents our new normal. It seems like, maybe even, this is going to be around for a while. Like this is going to be it. No matter how hard we pray, no matter how much we believe, confess, push, or pull, it's like the situation isn't budging. This is my new normal. Now as we observe Joseph, we're going to discover that he has a new normal and finds himself stuck in Egypt. He's not from Egypt. He's not an Egyptian. I mean, he'd love nothing more than to close his eyes, click his heels, and find himself back with his father's family. But that's not the case, and it doesn't appear that it's going to be the case anytime soon. Egypt is his new normal. This is where his life is now. It is what it is. Listen to this. He's stuck in a place he never imagined he would be with people he never wanted to be with. Stuck. Stuck in a new normal. But I want you to hear this. Just because we feel stuck with a new normal doesn't mean that we're going to have to spend the rest of our life there. 
It doesn't mean necessarily that we have to settle for that. What it does mean is if we find ourselves in a new normal, a place we never expected that we would be, with people we never counted on being with, we, we should not think of that time, listen, as wasted years. Joseph's time in Egypt gives us a pathway for understanding that even when you find yourself in Egypt, in a new normal, you can still serve a higher purpose. That's where I want us to work towards today with our message, to come to the place where we feel stuck in a new normal. We actually leverage that moment to serve a higher purpose in our life. Where you're at right now may not be where you want to be. You never thought you'd be there. You may not like the people that you are there with, but God can leverage those years and do something in that season of your life. Don't waste those days. Serve a higher purpose. Let's take a look at this. Take your Bible. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis is where we find Joseph's story. We concluded in chapter 40 last week. We're going to pick up in chapter 41 as we look at this next segment of his stuck story. He's stuck in Egypt. He is stuck with a new normal. Now, as chapter 40 closes, let's remember, it closes with a grim and painful scene. Joseph is in prison, and he makes an emotional appeal to another prisoner, if you get out of here, I need you to take my case to Pharaoh. I'm, I'm in prison for no reason. Will you please make an appeal to the king on my behalf? Now, the person he's talking to, we only know as the king's cupbearer. But the Bible says his sentence is dropped. And so he is restored to his former life. He goes back to the palace serving Pharaoh. However, the Bible closes chapter 40 by telling us he forgot about Joseph. In fact, it ends by saying he never gave him another thought. Now chapter 41. Beginning in verse 1, we read two full years later. Look at that. Two full years later, Joseph's disappointment for his imprisonment meant has to be an, a terrible burden on his heart. I can't believe this is where I've ended up. Two full years goes by. He's got to be thinking, I'm never going to get out of here. Then Pharaoh has a dream. He dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind from, them in, from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up, but he fell asleep again, and he had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump, beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then the seven more heads came, and look at these. These were like withered and dried out by the east wind. And then those seven withered heads of wheat, look at that, they devour 
the seven plump heads. Next morning, Pharaoh wakes up and he's disturbed by his dreams. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Now, magician, this is a word that refers to a, a special unit of Egyptian priests who served in a place that Egyptians called the house of life. And inside the house of life, there were dream books that were put together to help them interpret people's dreams. But notice their efforts failed when Pharaoh told them his dreams. Not one of them could tell him what they meant. Verse 9, finally, finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today I have been reminded of my failure. The word failure is the Hebrew word for sin. So he feels a sense of personal guilt and responsibility for failing to tell Pharaoh this. Verse 12, there was a, a young Hebrew man with us in prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he predicted. Now, even though the cupbearer feels a sense of responsibility and guilt for not telling him sooner, there's a sense in the text that everything is happening just at the right time. In fact, throughout Joseph's story, there's this common thread, this lesson that is presented that God is in control and he's working all things together for good, even seasons when we feel stuck. Now, I know what it's like. Like when you're stuck, it feels random. It doesn't feel like God is in control. But I want to say to you, even in the moments when your life is stuck, God is still sovereign. God is still in control. Verses 14 through 16. We now see a pivot. Change comes to Joseph's life. Look at verse 14. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. And it was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. But more important than a change in scenery, more important than a change in clothes or a change in appearance, is the change in Joseph's character. Verse 15, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that you can hear about a dream and can interpret it. Look at verse 16. It is beyond my power to do this. I, I, I don't have that ability. But God, two of the greatest words in the Bible, but God, God can, can tell you what it means. I want you to think about that. Gone are the days when this young adult was so pompous and arrogant that he would strut around in his robe. Look at me. Now he is a man who is broken of his self-importance. He's humbled by the grace of God. I can't do this. But God, God can't. In the next few verses, Pharaoh repeats the details of his dream. Joseph then, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, cracks the code to the dreams. Look at verse 25. 
Joseph says both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows, the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. So after Joseph like decodes the dream, he then speaks up to give Pharaoh counsel on how he can successfully conduct a conservation and food distribution operation. Verse 33, find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Verse 35, gather all the food produced in the good years, store it away, guard it so there'll be food in the cities. That way, there'll be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Old Testament scholar Ken Matthews writes that Joseph's own resume has been built on managing these kinds of big projects. As you remember, like he's in Potiphar's house, an Egyptian elite in charge of managing the estate, which includes overseeing a farm. Then he's put in charge in the prison. Like he, he has a track record of managing projects, but he's not raising his hand volunteering. He's just giving advice out of his experience. Well, then Pharaoh kind of looks around the room, sees a bunch of lightweight wise men, looks back at Joseph and says, you're hired. Verses 41 through 44 describe Pharaoh empowering Joseph with authority and then the means to conduct this operation storehouse. And Joseph succeeds. Verse 49, he piled up huge amounts of grain, so much so they couldn't even count it anymore. So notice during the famine, Joseph saved the Egyptian population from starvation, but not just them. It went broader than that. He was able to save other people in North Africa, into the Middle East, and the Near East. So all of this reads like there's like this like happy ending to his sad little story. But then in the midst of all of it, Joseph lets us in to see how he feels about his new normal. Verse 45. Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name. Look at that. That's a mouthful. No longer will he be called what he has been called for 30 years, Joseph, a name given to him by his beloved father. Now he's got to answer that. And then we read Pharaoh gave him a wife. Notice that. The word gave him means he appointed him a wife. He picked his wife for him. He didn't have a choice. He didn't go on an Egyptian version of The Bachelor and have several beauties to choose from. It gets picked for him. And then verse 50. Two sons were born to Joseph and his wife. Joseph named his older son Manasseh. For he said, 
God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Are you tracking this? From, from Joseph's own words, he describes the place that he is in as a place he did not want to be with people he never wanted to be with. This is a new normal for him. He is stuck in Egypt, and it's a place of trouble. In a place of separation. place of great grief. But notice, rather than getting sidelined by his unhappiness, Joseph reveals a track record of serving a higher purpose in his new normal. Now listen to me, there is nothing wrong with you praying and asking the Lord to like restore something from your past or for God to bring you into something that's new and different in the future. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't hope these days away. You can actually waste the days in Egypt. You can waste the days of the new normal instead of serving and fulfilling a higher purpose in it. So my encouragement to us is that we learn some lessons from Joseph and tuck away in our heart some truth that will help us the next time our life has a curve and a shift and we find ourselves in a new normal, where a place we never imagined we'd be with people we didn't want to be with, but here we are. So what do we do? Serve a higher purpose. Here's how Joseph went about that. First of all, listen to this. You have to release... Any emotional attachment to prior things. Release attachment to prior things. Now let me be quick to say this. There's a difference between fond memories and unhealthy attachment. Joseph had an unhealthy attachment to things from his past. Things that he wanted to see different. So what does he do? He names his son Manasseh, which is an indication that Joseph strikes out in a new direction for his life. What does Manasseh mean? It means God has made me, or listen, God has graced me with the ability to forget. Now, we'll come back to this next week because there's reason for us to consider if he's really forgotten it all. But for now, let's acknowledge his intention to release his unhealthy attachment to wrongs done against him in the past and to release his hurt over the loss of his family. Now, maybe you find yourself right now in a new normal. Like you're in Egypt. And so I want to caution you about looking back and romanticizing 
what used to be. Lest we find ourselves like Lot's wife, if you know that story. Looking back in ways that cause us, listen, to have affection for what was yesterday, but harden our heart for where we are presently. You have to keep your heart soft and tender in the Lord's hands if you're going to serve a higher purpose where you are. you got to release those emotional attachments to the past. All the single ladies. All the single ladies. You may have to get rid of that teddy bear that your ex won you at the fair. Because part of your inability to connect with your fella now is your emotions keep getting pulled in a backward direction. And so you want to release a sense of emotional attachment to the prior things. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about that. He said, forgetting the past. Look at that. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Now, for you to press on, you may have to stop reminiscing over what used to be so that you can put your focus on where God has you now. In marriage, that's called leaving and cleaving. And to serve a higher purpose, to leave and cleave, sometimes that might mean you have to cut some things off from the past. Sometimes it may be that you have to forgive something in the past. Other times it may mean that you have to practice another level of gratitude, actually thanking God for leading you and getting you where you are today. If you are struggling, listen to me, if you're struggling with some prior attachments, make this your prayer. God, help me forget God, give me the grace to be able to put behind me what is behind me so I can serve you in the present. I want to serve the higher purpose in the present. Right here, right now. Listen, don't waste another day. Don't waste time regretting and pining and holding on to prior things. Here's a second thing we can pick up from Joseph and apply truth in a new normal, and that is do what is needed with your whole heart and soul. Where you are and what you need to do in this new normal, do it with your whole heart and soul. Don't hold back questioning, is it worth it? Are they worth it? Like if this is where you are and what you're supposed to do, do it with your whole heart and soul. We, we see this repeated over and over in Joseph's life in chapter 39. Again, he's given this job of overseeing a master's estate. What we don't see is Joseph withholding his best abilities to serve that master because he questions his moral integrity. 
Like, I don't know if I want to give you like my best, I don't know if I want to give you my whole heart in, in serving here because after all, you own another human being. That's immoral. Then we see him end up in the prison. And the warden gives him the management of the prison. And then we don't see him anymore. And you don't read Joseph saying, hey, where are you going? Like, why did I get stuck with this job? Instead, he just serves with all of his heart and all of his soul. And then the state put him in charge of a government feeding program. Pharaoh, I don't know if you've ever done any history reading. Pharaoh, the pharaohs were never good guys. They're entitled, wicked. The pharaoh actually believes, every one of them believes they are the incarnation, the physical representation of the sun god on earth. Now maybe your boss has a big ego, but at least he doesn't say he's God. And yet we, we don't see a hesitancy in Joseph to give his best in any of those situations. Whatever he does, wherever he's at, like he gets all heart, all soul behind it. Two New Testament points of direction are offered to us. Every follower of Jesus, this applies to us. Whatever you do, look at this, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working unto the Lord. Look at that, unto the Lord. I get it. When we're in a new normal, there's places we don't want to be, people we don't want to be with. But you're not doing what you're doing for those people or for that situation. You're doing all that you can for the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So, so what we learn from Joseph is that when you find yourself in some place, maybe you don't want to be with people you don't want to be with, and maybe that's completely unexpected, unwelcomed, but instead of judging the moment and critiquing whether the situation is worthy of your best, you put your whole heart and soul into it, and then the Lord can make you fruitful right where you are. You don't have to wait for a better situation or a better season. Right where you are, the Lord can take your heart to give all of your soul behind what you do and make it prosper. The Lord can make you fruitful. And finally, this lesson from Joseph, we've got to learn, if we're going to serve that higher purpose, you've got to open yourself to become a means of blessing to others. Joseph's availability to serve the needs in, in Egypt put him in a position to serve a higher purpose, which was in part to become a distribution center of God's goodness to others. Think of it, people in the worst conditions found the benefit of God's blessings through Joseph. We're only three generations removed when, when Joseph's great-great-grandfather, Abraham, was given this promise by God, all the families of the earth will be blessed 
through you. Joseph became one manifestation of that promise by allowing the blessings of God to come through his wise management of Egypt's resources to do good to the people of Egypt. Now listen, the people in Egypt, were they worthy of the good? Did they know the Lord? No, they did not. They didn't know the Lord God Almighty. In fact, in Egypt, they worshiped 1,400 other gods. And still, it was God's intention to do good to them. In theology, we call that provenient grace. It means common grace. It means God wants to do gracious things for all. This is the way Jesus said it. You've heard it said. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Look at this. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Let me say to you, part of the reason you are where you are is so that you can become part of God's delivery system of getting goodness to others. Like how else will they know to taste and see that the Lord is good if it doesn't come through you? And when you position yourself, to do good to others, you might just end up doubly blessed. Let me close with this. Joseph, who's one of Jacob's sons, is not named among Israel's 12 tribal leaders. The sons of Jacob are all given an assignment of being a, a leader of a tribe of Jacob. Joseph's name does not appear on that list. Joseph is not one of the heads of the 12 tribes. But his sons are Manasseh and Ephraim are named among the leaders of the 12 tribes. God just may be positioning you so that you're not just simply blessed in being a blessing to others, but you'll actually be doubly blessed as a result of that. You may not experience like in your home or your lifetime that flow of blessing, but God is faithful and God is good and God is a multiplier of his blessings. It might be in your heritage that there is a reaping of that blessing.